Good morning. If I have not had a chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Alan Pittman, and I had the pleasure, privilege, I was trying to say both words at the same time, of serving as a senior pastor as well as one of the elders here at Living Hope, and we are absolutely thrilled that you're worshiping with us today. Whether this is your first time or whether you've been here a bunch of times, whether you've only worshiped online, if you haven't yet been in the building, whatever the case may be, we are glad that you're here today. If you are worshiping online, future. I do want to uh, make one quick announcement, and I mentioned it last week as well. If anyone is in a D group already or you know for a fact you're very interested in being a one, uh, contact me and I'll give you an information about a couple of trainings that we have going on um, if you didn't already get that information from me. All right. If you uh, came in, when you came in, I said that last week too, I think. When you came in, you may have picked up a worship guide. It looks like this on the back side is a place where you can take some notes as we go through the sermon, as well as at the bottom, you'll see where we're preaching from next week, and that's Acts chapter 22, because we are in the middle of a series as a church family, walking through the book of Acts. And, um, and I was talking with someone that is taking the um, minor prophets class in our equipping class uh, this morning, and I was sharing with her that I'm looking forward to um, when we do wind down the book of Acts and in January start a new series, we're going to be jumping into uh, the book of Micah from the Old Testament, one of the uh, Old Testament prophets. We're going to walk through that book uh, verse by verse. It's just six chapters, but uh, it'll take us a while to get through all that is in that book. But for now, we are walking through the book of Acts, and so hopefully uh, you've got a Bible. If you don't have one with you, grab a Bible near you. There should be a black hardbound Bible uh, under a chair or in a chair somewhere around you. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, feel free to take that with you. If you know somebody who needs one, take that with you. That'll be our gift uh, from us to you because um, we want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. Like I said, we are walking through the book of Acts, and uh, we have left off over the last few weeks, seeing Paul, who had been going on these missionary journeys, and really the primary character outside of God, who is always the primary character of every book of the Bible, but he is the primary human character in the second half of the book of Acts, and he's been making his way to Jerusalem, and he knew that the Holy Spirit was leading him to go there, even though he was going to face hardship and difficulty, and last week we find that that hardship and difficulty found him quite quickly. Uh, because when he got to Jerusalem, there was this word, rumor on the streets that was incorrect. It said that Paul was teaching everyone everywhere that there was no need for uh, the Jewish faith or customs and traditions. There was no need for uh, the temple or the people of Israel. And because of that, and the law, because of that, they were ready to kill him. In fact, the mob, grab, the mob grabs Paul and they begin to beat him with the intent of killing him when a Roman tribune or official shows up and breaks up the party, uh, which Paul did not see as a party, and arrested Paul, which kept Paul from being killed. And so last week we saw that Paul was being ushered towards the barracks and that soldiers were actually having to carry him um, up to the barracks and then we pick up the story from there. And the story picks up when Paul asks to speak to the crowd. So we're in Acts chapter 22. We're going to start, uh, actually chapter 21, sorry. We're going to start in the end of chapter 21, and then we're going to work into the beginning of chapter 22. We're just going to look at the end of chapter 21, beginning in verse 37 through verse 40. And then just keep your Bible open because we're going to keep going through it says, as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, you know, this was after he's been beaten and almost killed, as he's being brought into the barracks, 
He said to the tribune, the Roman official, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? That's the tribune talking to, to Paul. Are, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, I realize that that's not the end of the sentence, but that's the end of the chapter, and I want to look at these four verses before we move on from there. Paul, as we looked at last week, is always motivated by the gospel. Paul is literally just beginning the recovery process of being beaten and being carried because he's beaten so severely and they're intended to kill him and in that very moment before he can even lick his wounds he says I have an opportunity to preach the gospel and talk about this Jesus and I'm not just going to talk about him to anybody but I'm going to share him with the very crowd of people who just tried to kill me. So he's motivated to share the gospel, and he wanted a chance to talk to them about Jesus. It's interesting, it, it's titled in most of your Bibles, Paul's Defense, and he really isn't defending himself, rather he's just preaching the gospel. And so he's not asking to get retaliation against these people, he's asking to share the gospel with them, and the tribune's a little bit confused. And we don't have a lot of details here, but if you study uh, any historical information, including a guy by the name of Josephus, who wrote, uh, he was a contemporary of that time period, and wrote on the history of the people of, of, of Israel. And Josephus tells us more about this guy. Apparently, there was an Egyptian Jewish man who was raising a revolt or an insurrection. It happened quite a bit. And, and so in this scenario, I kind of um, chuckle at the explanation of them, they're called the assassins. So, I mean, I guess they were tough guys. There were 4,000 of them, and he's led them out in the wilderness. Essentially, this Egyptian guy had led this revolt. He hadn't been captured. Uh, the tribune saw all the excitement at the temple and tried to stop the excitement and just presumed that perhaps this guy that he had arrested, Paul, was the uh, the insurrectionist. And maybe he was excited because he had stopped a, 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 a known terrorist. I, I, I don't know exactly, but he thought he had him. Commentators really kind of talk back and forth about why does the, the, the tribune say, oh, do you know Greek? And there's a lot of different thoughts, but perhaps one of the reasons could be that if he had been the Egyptian insurrectionist, he would have spoken Greek, but not as good a Greek that Paul was speaking. And so maybe the tribune was caught off guard about how good the Greek was. And he's like, oh, no, maybe you're not this Egyptian after all. And then Paul describes, hey, I'm from an important city. I, I'm, a, I'm a Jew. I'm not an Egyptian. And he says then, can I speak to the crowd? So that's where we pick up the story again in chapter 22. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. He begins to address the crowd who had just beaten him because they thought that he didn't care about the Jewish way of doing things and the law and the temple. And here's what he said, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And here's what Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, he's talking about Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a revered rabbi, 
according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death. He's talking about the way of Jesus Christ, the Christians, the church. I had persecuted them to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders, or the Sanhedrin, can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Let me kind of look for a second what Paul's doing here. He's rewinding the clock. He's talking about several years earlier, before he became a Christian, and he begins to describe his religious heritage and lineage. And notice in these five verses that Paul does everything that he can to capture the ears of the audience because he's always, as we talked about last week, becoming all things to all people that by all means some might come to faith. And so he's wanting to identify with these Jewish people and clarify that he is not against them. And so here's some quick things, just bullet points of what he did. First, he speaks in the Hebrew language. It's probably better said dialect. In fact, the word in Greek for language here is the word dialect. And so more than likely, he was actually not speaking Hebrew, but a dialect of Hebrew, which is referred to as Aramaic. Aramaic would have been the common language of the people, so that perked their ears, and they were able to hear him, and they had some respect for him as he began to speak their language. And then he addresses them as brothers and fathers, and he's showing respect to them, and he's part of the family, and he's uh, got their attention with that. And then he says, I'm a Jew, and I was brought up in this city, so he's saying, I'm one of you, and I lived in this city, and so everything that takes place here is important to me. I was raised in the culture in this holy city. Then he says, I was educated by Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a revered rabbi, as I said a moment ago when I was reading it. And so he had, was of high stature. And so he's showing his lineage through Gamaliel. And then he says something interesting. He said, I was zealous for God, just like all of you. He said, guys, I once was where you are. I get it. I understand why you're so zealous. But then he's beginning to tell them a story about how that zealousness for the law shifted so that he became zealous for the one true God, and that is found in the trinity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he begins to describe to them what Jesus did for him, and he's going to paint a picture of how his life was radically changed by Jesus himself. But then before he gets there, he again identifies with them. He says, hey, I persecuted the church, and so I, 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 y'all can identify with me. And then he says, the high priest and the council of elders can even vouch for me. I mean, they gave me letters so that I could go to Damascus and bring more people back to Jerusalem under arrest. So everything he says in verses 1 through 5 is a true statement, and it's all calculated in a truthful way to point them towards, hey guys, I, I have some credibility here, listen to me, and as I identify that I once was like you, now let me explain to you how my life has been radically changed by a true encounter with God through Jesus Christ. So we pick up the story of his conversion we're going to read verses 6 through 16, and before I read it, I'll just say, hey, this was already relayed to us in chapter 9, where Paul tells when it happened chronologically where Paul was saved. And Luke tells the story, who wrote the book of Acts, for us. In this occasion, though, Paul is giving voice to it, and so it's a first-hand account as Paul tells it. Verses 6 through 16. Paul says that as he was on his way to Damascus to arrest those Christians when he was persecuting them, he drew near to Damascus. It was about noon, and a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. 
And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, this is a reminder that Paul's name, Hebrew name, is Saul. It's the same guy, and so he's referenced, referenced here as Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light and did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And then here's what happens in Damascus, beginning in verse 12. And one Ananias, that's a man, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. As I said, this story is told back in chapter 9, and it's told here again, and we'll read it again in a couple of weeks as it's relayed a third time in the book. And what Paul is showing is that his life, as I said a moment ago, was radically changed by God. There are several hints and statements that show us that it's the work of God and actually several ways that he phrases it in order that his Jewish audience might receive it. The first thing he says is he describes what took place, that there was a great light and this light was from heaven. As you read the Old Testament time and time again, we see that God is identified as light many times and his presence is seen in fire and bright things. And so whenever he says this light came, that's an indication it's from God. And then secondarily, when it says it's come from heaven, it's from God for sure. He's trying to gain their attention and point to the fact that he's not making this up, that it's a divine appointment and they need to hear more about it. The light was so bright that it knocked him to the ground. And then a voice from heaven called out to Saul and asked him why he was persecuting him. And then we see that it's Jesus' voice. And it's like, wait a minute. Why does Jesus say, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why does he not say, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? The answer is simple. Jesus so loves us, his church, that he identifies with us so that whenever this persecution was happening to the church, it's as if it was happening to Jesus. And so we find hope in the fact that Jesus identifies with us and loves us that much. And so Paul continues um, to say um, here that, that Jesus is the one who is being persecuted, that, that he was going on his way to Damascus, but the reality is that he was going to find out what God had appointed for him. He thought he was going to persecute the church, but we see in verse 10 that, that, that the voice, Jesus, tells him, go on into the city because you're going to find out there what I have appointed for you to do. And then in verse 12, when he describes Ananias that comes, did you notice how he described Ananias? He said he's a devout man and he's respected by the Jewish people. What he's saying is, I'm not making this up. This really happened. And it's some, not some far-fetched thing, but rather it's from God. And he's identifying with the crowd by saying, this man loves God and the law as well. But he had been changed by Jesus also. 
So through Ananias, God immediately gave Paul his sight back. And then we come to an interesting verse in verse 16. In verse 16, Ananias says, why are you waiting, Paul? Why don't you just go ahead and get up? And in the ESV, it says, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. At first glance, it might look like this. It might look like what he's saying is, Paul, you should get baptized because in the process of being baptized, your sins will be washed away. That's actually not what it's teaching, but rather the focus in the Greek construction of the sentence is on this calling on his name. And what he's saying is, call on the name of Jesus, and when you call on the name of Jesus, your sins will be washed away, you'll come to know Jesus personally, and then you'll follow it up with baptism. And so the baptism doesn't bring the salvation, but rather the salvation comes by calling on the name of Jesus, faith in the name of Jesus, and then it's demonstrated publicly with baptism. So that's what that sentence is getting at. And you say, Alan, how do you get that? Well, number one, the sentence structure in the Greek says that, and also it's consistent with the rest of the scripture teaching that baptism is not what washes away our sin, but salvation comes by faith alone in Jesus Christ. So a moment ago, when Howard was praying, he prayed that anyone in this room or worshiping online that don't yet know Jesus might come to faith today. So what I want to do is spend just a moment talking about what Paul experienced in verse 16. He had had an encounter with Jesus, and because when he saw Jesus was, is real, he understood that what Jesus had done for him and that alone could bring forgiveness for his sins. A sin is not just a simple mistake. A sin is not just something we don't do quite right, but rather a sin is any time we live in rebellion towards God. You're like, I don't really do much towards God. Actually, you and I Scripture tells us all of us fall short of God's standard and we sin all of the time. And because of our sin, God who is holy and perfect and just cannot have anything to do with us. Instead, he must punish sin. And it says in Scripture that the wages or what we earn for sin is death, eternal separation from a holy, perfect God. But the amazing news is this that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, Jesus, fully God, uh, I'm teaching with Trooper uh, one of our core classes this semester called Christian Beliefs, and we talked about the Trinity today, and we sang a song a moment ago uh, from a verse that we read today from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19, that Jesus is fully God. He is not just a man, but he is fully God, losing none of his divinity, putting on flesh, walked this earth, and was tempted in every way that we are, and yet was without sin. That he didn't deserve death, but that he willingly went to the cross, taking the punishment for our sins, that we might be able to trust in him for salvation, experiencing the washing away of our sins. You can do nothing. You can do nothing to wash away your sins. But Alan, I've got perfect attendance since cradle roll. I've been in church every Sunday of my life. My dad was a deacon. My grandpappy was a pastor. My mama taught mission friends. If you're a Southern Baptist, you might know what that is from years ago. I, I, I once knew a missionary, and I read my Bible every chance I get. I'm nice to my neighbor. I even turn a tithe in occasionally, and I pray, and I have never killed anybody. 
There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do for salvation. It's by grace alone that God gives us salvation when we repent or turn from our sins and trust in him. That's exactly what Paul experienced. He had been zealous for God. He had been zealous for the law. He had done all the religious stuff, and his life was empty and void. And because of this encounter with Jesus Christ, his sins were washed away, and he was able to live a new life in communion with the Father. You too can experience that. But you must turn to him calling on his name. Let's keep going through the rest of our verses. We're going to finish not my sermon, but the reading of the text, with verses 17 through 22. Let me set this up before I read it. Paul is talking about past tense and current reality. In the past, he was saved from his sins, and now he lives for Jesus. And so he's rewound the tape and told them of his conversion. And then not long after he was saved, he goes back to Jerusalem. And so what I'm about to read is when he went to Jerusalem shortly after his salvation experience. It's not what took place right here in the book of Acts. He says in verse 17, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance, which is another word for having a vision, and saw him, talking about God, saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, that's earlier in the book of Acts chapter 8, your witness was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And here's what God said to him, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The text, the title, you're like, finally you got to the title. That's all introduction. No, I'm teasing. The title of the sermon is this, Chosen, Chosen to Go to the Gentiles. That's what Paul's story was about. We see in this text that he's praying in the temple, which again points to the Jewish audience that this message is from God. You go to the temple to hear from God. Paul went to the temple, he heard from God, and God said, get out of here because your life is at risk. It was from his moment of salvation to the very end, people wanted to kill him. But the biggest reason that God sent him away from Jerusalem is actually found in verse 22. And the reason is because God was sending him far away to the Gentiles. He was to leave Jerusalem because God had other plans for him. So, at the top of your outline, I promise I'm well over half my sermon, I promise. Top of your outline, it says God chose Paul to send him far away to the Gentiles. Here's a little newsflash. Paul was not saved for Paul's sake. Paul was saved for God's glory. Now, Paul reaped some benefits But our salvation is not about us. Our salvation is about our good and glorious God and how he wants to spread that message around the world. And so it says here that Paul was chosen so that he would go and send the message in faraway places to the Gentiles. If you've been with us as we've walked through the book of Acts, you've seen him go faraway places. And here's a little bit of preview. From this point on in the book of Acts, he remains under arrest and he ends up in Rome, which is really far away from where he is. And he will, to his last breath, continue to preach the gospel to all people, to specifically Gentiles. He was chosen by God for a specific purpose, and that was to take the gospel to the Gentiles, and he does that. 
So now I come to the question, what about us? It's there on your outline. What about us? Could it be that God is also sending you far away to be a missionary? That very well might be true. Is he sending you to a particular group of people like he sent Paul to the Gentiles? Again, perhaps that is true. But as we look at this passage of text from Scripture, we must move beyond the biographical truth or the story. In other words, we don't just read this text so that we can understand truthfully what took place in the life of Paul, but rather we seek to understand what took place in the life of Paul so that we can see how that also applies to our lives as well. So that brings me back to the question, what about us? You see, the Bible is never meant to simply give us knowledge, but rather the Bible is to give us that knowledge in order to reveal to us the one true God and who he is and what he does. We must first, anytime we read God's word, We must first comprehend the text and understand what it meant to the original listeners. And we must understand what it is about. That's what I've sought to do thus far. But we must then move from comprehension and understanding into this idea of interpretation and application. So how are we going to interpret this passage? How are we going to apply it to our lives? I think the answer is found primarily in verses 14 and 15. I want us to look closely at verses 14 and 15. We're first going to hear what God says to to Paul. And then we're going to see what transferable principles he's saying to you and I out of this text. So that's the comprehension headed towards interpretation and application. Verse 14, when he's there on the road to Damascus, uh, sorry, when he's in Damascus and Ananias has helped restore his sight through the power of God, then... Um, Ananias says to Paul, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. So before we can know what it means for us, we need to see what it understood, what it meant to Paul and to the original listeners. We see at the beginning of this that the God of their ancestors had chosen and appointed Paul. It's the same God who had commissioned Moses in the Old Testament that has now commissioned Paul. There's continuity between Judaism and the Old Testament and Christianity and the New Testament. He's the same God. And then we see that God was revealing his will to Paul in this encounter. And then it says that he saw the righteous one. Who is the righteous one? It's a messianic term, in other words, a term that's used to describe the Messiah. The Messiah that would come, the Jewish people, would sometimes refer to as the righteous one. And so when he heard the voice and saw the bright light from heaven and Jesus spoke, Paul saw the righteous one. Then he says he was to hear Jesus' voice, but not just his voice, he was to hear the command or the instruction from Jesus. And then he was to be a witness to all people. And then verse 21 says he's being sent to the Gentiles. But what about us? How do these verses relate to us? 
Does this mean that you and I, on our way to Brian this afternoon, will be struck down by a bright light, will fall onto the street, and will not be able to see anything, will be told to be led by the hand? No, this is what took place in Paul's life. This is how Paul was being experiencing uh, this encounter with God. However, there are transferable things from these verses that I want us to see. The first one is there on your notes. He, meaning God, wants us to follow his will. You see there in verse 14 that it describes that he was to know, Paul was to know God's will. He wants us to know God's will. To know God's will means to follow God's will. So he wants us to follow his will. All too often, we're too quick with our next statement. Well, yeah, I I want to know his will for my life. Uh, I mean, I need to know what does he want me to do? What school should I go to? Who should I marry? What career path should I take? Where should I live? What house should I buy? No, that's not the knowing God's will that I'm talking about. I'm saying God wants us to know his will and get stop focusing on ourselves, focus on him, know him for who he is, know his will for his will's sake, not so that I can get something from it. It's as we know God's will that he may choose to begin to reveal other, wills to, uh, other aspects of his will to us that gives us clarification. But in the meantime, the starting point is not what is God's will for my life, it is what is God's will. Some of God's will is going to include things like this. Walk in holiness. Pursue sanctification. In other words, becoming more and more like Jesus. Love your neighbor. Show generosity. Bridle your tongue. Worship him. Trust his providence. The list could go on and on. Anywhere where we read in scripture, we can see God's revealed will to us and how we're to respond. To know God's will is to follow God's will. In this section, I want to ask you a set of three questions. They're really the same question, but it's going to like, help you identify what to respond with. This section of, he wants to follow, us to follow his will, here are the questions. Am I more interested in knowing God's will for my life or knowing his will in general? Am I more concerned with knowing God's will for my life or is my primary concern knowing his will in general? The second question is, how well do you know God? Because in order to follow God's will, we must know God himself. And so how well do you know God? And the third one is this, what steps am I taking to know his will? Here's some possible steps. Study his word. Spend time with him in prayer. Get insight from conversations with other believers, whether that be in class or hope group or D group or some other setting. Live in community. Being a part of a local church is important to know God's will. Get busy serving him. Ask God to make you God-focused instead of me-focused. My question is, what steps are you taking to know God's will? So the first thing was, he wants us to know his will. The second thing is, knowing his will comes by hearing his voice. A moment ago, um, Howard quoted a verse from John chapter uh, 10. John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. In this scenario with Paul, he literally heard the voice of God, right? 
Like he fell to the ground. The others didn't really know what the voice was saying, but Paul clearly audibly heard the voice of God. God can do that in your life, but in most scenarios, he's not. I've never heard the audible voice of God, but it doesn't change the fact that he speaks to us. The primary way that he chooses to speak to us for us to hear his voice is by studying the Bible. If you want to hear the voice of God, study the Bible. Why is that? The Bible is God's revelation of himself to us. And in order for me to know him, I must see him for who he is. And the only way I can know him for who he is is by studying his revelation to me. We must study God's word to hear his voice. You're like, Alan, I don't really know what God's telling me to do. Are you reading your Bible? Are you studying your Bible? And you're like, no, no, it doesn't tell me like, uh, if, what house I should buy. No, I'm not asking you that part of God's will. I'm saying, do you know his voice? Do you hear what he is saying to live a godly life? Are you reading and studying God's word? That's the primary way that we hear his voice. It reveals our need for salvation, both to be converted to salvation and the ongoing life of sanctification becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what the Bible addresses. Another way that we hear the voice of God is through his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to speak to us if you're a follower of Jesus. The word tells us that the Holy Spirit resides in us. His presence is in us. God's presence is in me, and therefore he's going to speak to me as he teaches and trains me to interpret Scripture. I don't study the Scripture from a man-centered way, or at least I shouldn't, or a, a logical way, but rather the Holy Spirit interprets it for me as I read it. So one way I hear God's voice is through the Holy Spirit as he interprets scripture, as he convicts me of sin, as he prompts me in following God. The Holy Spirit is one way that I can hear the voice of God. Another way I can hear the voice of God is in prayer. If you're like most of us, you don't ever hear God's voice in prayer because the whole time you're praying, you got your mouth open. All too often we go to God with our laundry list. Dear God, make my Cowboys win today. Help them to win the Super Bowl. You know, we pray these things all the time. You know, I've never prayed for the Cowboys, but you've prayed for something where you have a laundry list, and perhaps some of them are good things on the laundry list, and perhaps some of them are selfish things on the laundry list, but by golly, when we get to the end of it, we say amen, we walk out the door, and we never give it another thought. Prayer begins by studying God's Word because He reveals Himself to us, and then we're informed as we begin to pray, and even as we pray, He begins to shape and bend His will into our will we hear his voice in prayer it's a conversation not a monologue all right there we go i promise i'm trying to get out get you out of here before 1 p.m doing everything i can too many times i've been in prayer and perhaps i've said something like this dear god would you bless my church and then i realize oh it's not quite my church. It's his church. Have you ever been praying and your wording changes because the Holy Spirit says you're not quite in line? That's part of not my will, but your will be done. God's will for mankind is revealed in his word. Are you listening to it? The Holy Spirit is talking to you. Are you listening to him? The Lord is talking to you during prayer. Are you listening? All too often we're too busy. We're too absorbed to hear his voice. Anybody in here parents? Anybody in here have technology at your house? 
Anybody ever have trouble getting your child to hear your voice when you're talking to them when they're in the middle of playing a game? It's bad, right? Can I confess something to you? If you walked into my house and I was watching the Cowboys game and you try to talk to me, I probably don't hear your voice either. Oh, amen, amen, amen. <laughs> The reality is this, before we think other people are guilty of being self-absorbed, let's look back at ourselves. And all too often, we are too focused on ourselves and our stuff, and we don't hear God's voice, or we hear it, but we don't really hear it because it comes in one ear and out the other because we're too focused on ourselves. Here's some questions to help you process this step. Number one says this, are you serious about being a student of God's word? To hear God's voice, you must study God's word. To study God's word means that you've got to be a student of God's word. You're like, I don't like to read, Alan. I got news for, or I'm not able to read. Here's some amazing news. Bible app, many of them have free, downloadable, listening, audible versions of scripture. You can listen to God's word be read to you. We must digest and partake in God's word. We must be a student of God's word. The second question is, what is distracting you and keeping you from hearing God's voice? And then let's get practical. What steps is God calling you to take to better hear his voice? And I, I don't want to pretend to know the answer to that question for you, but I think those are some good questions to seek to apply this point. Let's get to the third one. Not only does God want us to follow his will, we need to acknowledge that to follow his will means that we've got to hear his voice. And then when we do hear his voice, I guarantee you that his general will for you always includes this last point. I may not know other particulars of what God's calling you to, but if you're a follower of Jesus, he is sending us out as his witnesses to all people. We see that in verse 15. That is transferable to every single one of us. If you don't believe me, go back to Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. Look at the Great Commission. Go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he's sending us out to go and be his disciples to the end of the earth. In Paul's case, he was being sent literally around the world to the Gentiles. Likewise, God is calling you and I to all peoples. Here's the interesting thing. Did you know that the word here for Gentiles is the word ethnos? Another way to define or describe the Greek word ethnos is not only Gentiles, but also peoples or people groups. We are called to go to all peoples, whether they live across the neighbor, uh, across the neighbor, across the street, work at our, our, our place of employment, go to school where we go to, play on our ball team, interact with them on social media, or they live around the globe. We are called to go to all peoples i'm not saying that each and every one of us is to get on a plane and fly to uh, uh, southeast asia and preach the gospel but all of us are called to be a witness somewhere we are called to be his witness so if you want to follow his will you need to hear his voice and you need to respond to his voice which sends us out as his witnesses to all people and so here's my questions on this section are you going are you telling? I, I, I guarantee you there are some in this room, not because I have a word from the Lord, but because of the principle of God's word, there are people in this room listening to this that God is calling you to be a missionary. God is calling you to be a pastor. God is calling you to be an elder. God is calling you to be a leader and to go and to invest your life 
in sharing the gospel. But even if he's not calling you to those things, it doesn't make you less than. It makes the truth that all of us are to go, whether we go vocationally or otherwise. We're to go, we're to preach, we're to tell, we're to share. Are you willing to say yes to being his witness wherever that takes you? Will you put your yes on the table and let God put it on the map? What specific step can you take this week to be a witness? What specific step can you take this week to be a witness? It could be just walking across the room. Finding someone to talk to about Jesus. I'm amazed at some of you at how much God leads you to tell others about Jesus. To invite others to come to church with you because you have this sense that God is calling me to be a witness and I believe that God is calling all of us to be a witness. So what step, what step can you take this week? Who knows, maybe as you go and tell others, you'll begin to hear God more specifically share with you what's going on in your life and what he's calling you to do. This morning, I want to Give us a chance for a response. A couple ways we're going to respond, uh, or able to respond, is first of all, um, after the prayer, we'll stand and we'll sing. We'll sing two songs. And during the second song, there'll be an offering plate that's passed. If you've got an offering, you can drop it in there. If you've got a connection card or a prayer request, you can drop all those in there during the second song. During the first and second song, you can pray there at your seat. You can pray at the altar. You can come and pray with me. You can bring somebody that you're sitting near and bring them to the front and pray with you. You can just spend some time there at your seat. Let us hear God's voice and respond accordingly. You see, it's God's will. We, we talked about what God's will is. It's God's will that you be saved. Have you trusted in Jesus? Today can be the day. If you are a believer in Jesus, it's God's will that you be a follower into baptism. We're having baptism in a couple weeks, and maybe you need to sign up for that. It's God's will that all of us will be a part of a local body of Christ, and if you're not a member of this church, it could be that that's the step he's calling you to take. It's God's will for us to tell others about Jesus, and perhaps he's saying something along those lines to you this morning. I don't know what he's saying, but I'm trusting that God is speaking, and I'm asking you to listen to him and respond and say yes. Let me pray for us. Father, we, um, we celebrate you for who you are. God, we thank you for the truth of your word that we've looked at this morning. God, we thank you for the story that's not just a story, but it's an actual event of what took place in the life of Paul. God, we thank you that even when he had been beaten, he loved that crowd enough to stop and not yell at them and scream at them and defend himself, but to point them to Jesus. Father, may you lead us to see our need to be motivated by the gospel to tell others about you. But God, we acknowledge that in order for us to do that, we've got to, we've got to know your will. That we've got to follow your will. And for, in order for us to do that, we've got to hear your voice. And so, Father, I pray that through your word and through your Holy Spirit and through conversations with others and prayers that we pray and Bible studies, it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you're able to, would you stand with us? We're going to sing, and I'll be available here at the front, but you respond as the Lord leads you, whether it's there at your seat with me or at the altar. Let's respond.
saying those words if you were raised in church very familiar song people of almost all faith traditions have respect for it although it points directly to the one true God that's found in the Father Son and the Holy Spirit but maybe a part of it you're not familiar with that little added portion that we sing with that song and it talks about how our chains are gone and it's a true statement. If you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, the chains of your sin and death and punishment have been released. But it could be that you've come in this morning and there's other chains that are on you. It could be the chains of addiction. It could be the chains of sin 
It could be the chains of pride. It could be the chains of uncertainty and anxiety and indefiniteness. It could be the chains of destruction that is going on in your life through the events that you've experienced this past week. It could be illness. It could be a million different things. But I want to be careful here. What I'm not saying is that everything God will automatically remove those from us. But I will say this, that if you place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit resides within you. And in the midst of your storm, those chains can literally or figuratively be gone because they no longer have a hold on you. That in the midst of your storm, you're trusting in Christ alone. So what I want to do in this moment, and after I say amen, please don't run out the door because I do have one more thing. But I want to pray over us. Not because there's anything magical about me, but because in this moment I feel led to pray for us that we would experience the removal of all chains in our life. The salvation would come today for those that need salvation and that the chains of the other garbage in our life, self-inflicted or otherwise, that we would find peace and rest in Jesus. So let me pray for us. Father, we come to you now. We thank you that your grace is truly amazing. God, we're grateful that your grace breaks all chains. First and foremost, Father, we pray for salvation. That, God, you would break the chains of people that are absorbed in themselves and living in sin and don't see the need to turn to you for salvation. God, would you awake them up? Would you bring salvation that only you can bring? And, Father, for those that are going through hardships of life, that those chains of hardship would be destroyed. And that if those hardships still stay there, that your grace will be found sufficient for the thing we're going through. And that, God, you would call us to be a church family that would be a part of the solution and not the problem. That we would lovingly be aware of people in our lives that need us to come to them to encourage them and to preach and teach and remind them of the gospel truths so that all of us can know and follow your will so that all of us can hear your voice so that all of us can go and tell others of the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. It's in his powerful name I pray, amen. I'm going to invite the Estes to stay standing. The Estes is up here. I know I heard the little one was crying because somebody was talking too long. Uh, but Callie, if you're out there, come on back. We can bring babies and all. Preston, right? Is that is that's his name, right, Preston? Yeah. Okay. So Preston, I heard sweet Preston's voice a second ago. So uh, Callie and Shane Estes, I promise Callie is somewhere in the building, but I heard Preston crying a moment ago. Um, they have just joined our church family, and so we want to celebrate, and you'll see he's on the right team. He's on the right team. He's got the Cowboys on here. They do have a little boy named Preston, and uh, they're going to be up here. Hopefully, Callie can get in here. Is Callie, Callie, can you hear me? She's out there? Okay. Somebody help a mama out. Uh, she's indisposed. All right. Thank you for that word. So what we're going to do is um, apologize to her. I didn't mean to draw undue attention to her. 
But anyway, so when we dismiss, though, she'll eventually land down here. And I know they've got some family in town, so there'll be several people standing here. But Callie and Shane, come by and say hello to them. Introduce yourself to them. Uh, maybe offer to hold a baby or something. And um, we, we are designed. You're not here by accident. God's bringing his church family together. And I'll just lay a challenge out there. Some of you in this room, you've been here long enough. You need to take this step of obedience that Callie and Shane have. If the Lord's leading you here, become a member. Plug in, be a part of what God's doing here. God's up to some incredible things, and he wants to use you and I to be a part of that. So I'm going to thank God for, <laughs> for Shane. Sorry that, that, uh, that uh, Preston got a little upset, but Callie will be down here in a little bit. They'll be on the floor, so after we pray, just come down here. And then y'all swing by, say howdy to them, spend some time uh, with your church family before you leave, all right? God, you are good two weeks and I had to tell you today to follow our constitution bylaws and Howard saved the day so it'll be two weeks it'll be right after the service in two weeks all right we are officially dismissed come by and say hello to the Estes's. <laughs>